0: Be brave enough to fail. Do you know what I mean? Like most people can spend their lives in a certain comfort zone and be quite successful. But I do believe to be great or to be innovative or to do something that pushes the boundaries, you have to be brave enough. You have to be courageous enough to fail time and time again, you know, to fail.
1: my Run Your Life podcast and as always thank you very much for taking the time to listen to any episode that you can. The whole idea behind my podcast series is to interview people from the world of education and beyond who strive for both personal and professional excellence in their life through their chosen field of work, whatever that work may be. Whether it be Olympians, professional athletes, top researchers, best-selling authors, or artists, the people that I have had on my show have all done the deep work necessary to excel at their craft and to make a genuine difference in the world in their own unique ways. I believe the great value lies in better understanding the journeys that people have been on in their own life and to dig into the lessons that they have learned, the obstacles and hardships they have had to overcome, and how they have learned to deal with failure in order to constantly grow and get better at what they do. Today's episode is a very special one, as I had the opportunity to reconnect with an old teammate and friend from university. My guest, Warren Christie, and I played football together at the University of Windsor in Canada many years ago. We actually had to figure out how long ago it was and the exact years that we played together. Uh, Warren has a very unique story and is truly a great example of somebody who is willing to leap into the unknown to pursue a dream. You will learn all about his story in today's episode. Warren has been a film actor for nearly two decades and has earned roles in several TV series over the years, including October Road and The Village. He recently starred alongside Candace Cameron Burr in the movie, If I Only Had Christmas, which was just released this past week in Canada and on Thanksgiving Day weekend in the U.S. As well, he has been in several other movies over the years. What I truly appreciate about this conversation with Warren is his willingness to speak honestly and openly about his journey and what he has come to learn about himself through the process of trying to improve and get better every day at developing his craft as a film actor. With the uncertainty of his profession and the fact that he will no doubt fail over and over again, Warren has displayed not only deep resilience, but also tremendous gratitude for being able to do the work that he does. In this episode, we dive Into the weeds of what it means to be in the spotlight and what it takes to step up and perform at your best in a high stakes environment. As well, Warren shares how he best prepares for his roles and the tools he must develop within himself to be able to bounce back from failure and to be in the present moment as much as possible when filming. Warren talks about his experiences playing competitive football for a number of years and how the lessons learned from playing this sport transcended the sport itself and definitely applied to the work that he does in the pressure-filled arena of acting. It was so good to sit down and reconnect with Warren. Lots of great memories from our days playing football together, but more importantly, a great conversation about life, learning, passion, and resilience. A warm hello and happy holidays to any old Lancer teammates listening to this episode. May you all be in good health and experiencing happiness and joy in your life. And with that, let's jump right into my conversation with the inspiring Warren Christie. Okay, Warren, it's uh, amazing to have you on the show. And we must have spoken for about 20 minutes before hitting record and uh we've got a bit of history you and i we played football together at the university of windsor back and we figured it out it was 1995 um but you know a lot has happened since then uh for both of us uh you've gone i guess you've gone one direction you've gone west to vancouver uh from windsor i've gone over to the middle east and japan and cambodia Yeah, you went very east (laughs) yeah um so you know two very different lives but yet we find ourselves sitting together having a conversation after 20 years i think it's been since we we last saw each other so um i want to in advance to the conversation we're going to have i really want to thank you for your time and and for um being on my show i really appreciate it
0: oh no i, I was ecstatic when you reached out i'm, I'm, I'm happy to reconnect and, and to talk about these things yeah and
1: one of the things that i i wanted to I shared with you right before we hit record is I, I usually know the direction I'm going to take in a podcast with my guest. I know where I want to start. I know where I want to go. And if Canadians listening to this familiar with Southwestern Ontario, know, know the 401, it's a Mm. highway that takes you from Windsor all the way through to Montreal. Well, our journey will be kind of like going from Windsor to Toronto, but we're going to jump off on highway two. We you know, we might go to Ridgetown. We might jump up to Grand Bend, we might go, go off the beaten path to really dig more deeply into uh, certain aspects of your career and what you've learned about yourself along the way that has helped to guide you. And where I want to start this conversation off, just for the listeners, can you just tell the listener who you are, your current line of work, uh, when you got into the field, and some recent projects that you worked on?
0: So my name is Warren Christie, and I'm an actor. Um, I got started, I'm thinking about 19 years ago, you know, I finished up at Windsor, hung around Windsor for probably about less than a year, was working and and figuring some things out and then packed up with a mutual, very good friend of ours, Scott Miller, and drove out West to, to get into this business. Really? I mean, honestly, not knowing much about it at all, just knowing that my two options were Toronto or Vancouver as, um, you know, Montreal has an, an industry as well, but for me, those are the two spots. And so headed out west and yeah, I got started and, and had to learn a lot very early and had to try and figure some things out, but um, got very fortunate with a few things along the way. And one of the biggest is, I think a lot of themes with a lot of people is that I found a really incredible teacher very quickly um, who kind of took me under her wing um, immediately. And I would credit her for kind of giving me the foundation of learning. You know what I mean? Of what I really needed to know. Her name is Michelle Lonsdale smith Recently, you know, 2020 is an interesting year, obviously, in general. But, um, you know, I did a, a Christmas movie with Candace Cameron-Burray that's actually coming out tonight, strangely enough, in Canada. It came out over the weekend through um, Thanksgiving weekend in the States. Um, last year I had a series on the air called the village, which was a series in NBC that I lived in New York for six months and shot, which was, it was a real career highlight. The work itself, I played a, a I played a veteran who was coming home, who had uh, lost a limb mm-hmm. and who was uh, trying to reconnect with his daughter was my part of the storyline. And one of the things I'm sure we'll talk about at some point is what I loved about that was the research side of it you know, delving into it. I had a guy named Jamel Daniels who was with me every single day. And he was a real veteran who'd come home back to New York. He lost a limb and he was, you know, he helped guide me. Sometimes it was a physicality thing. He was so open and wonderful about his experience and, and reacclimating himself to home and what that meant, the problems he dealt with coming back. And so, I'm sure we'll touch on it more, but one of my favorite things about this, and you know, me, I wasn't exactly the world's greatest student, <laughs> but as I found this thing that I'm passionate about, um, one of my favorite things is to get an opportunity or role to research and read everything I get my hands on and go to YouTube and meet people. So um for me, that was one of the, really the a career highlight for so many reasons.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I want to dive into, because as I hear you just describe your that journey itself, I think of um, a lot of work around wellness and, and um, positive psychology. So the mm-hmm. founder of positive psychology, Martin Seligman, talks about one of the key factors to wellness is, is an openness to new experiences. Mm-hmm. So when people are, you know, if you imagine a continuum from zero to 10, where 10 being Incredibly open to new experiences where zero or one would be nope, nope, not going to do it, can't do it, got to do it this way. Um, it sounds like from the start you were very open to new experiences having left Windsor, not knowing what to do to go to Vancouver and, and your choice is Vancouver or Toronto. But um, yeah. when you think of early strengths within yourself, so I'm talking pre university days, like early days yeah. of London, Ontario. So, talk a little bit about early days in your life and some of those strengths that you felt you developed within yourself from an early age that helped guide you through difficult times, through your years mm-hmm. in sport. But some key fundamental, you know, maybe two or three strengths that you feel that you developed within yourself or, or naturally possessed?
0: Well, I mean, from the one thing I'll do is I'll back, Track for just one second. You know, you talked about my my openness to do different things. I I would love to say I was a 10, but I I worked my way up to being a little more open to it. You know, the first thing I did after high school was I went away for a year. I took a year off university. And that was a big deal for me because I never went away from home. So let's call that a two or a three. Then I went back and I went back to Windsor. And when I loved my time there, I loved the people I met. And when it started to come to an end, I still had this thing pulling. It's something about it made me want to try this thing. And what really was, was a, a thing that helped push me was a, a mutual friend of ours, Scott, Scott Miller, was, was putting words to it, was actually saying it. You know, and one day, and I just kind of said to him, I'm like, you know, I've always kind of wanted to to be an actor. I wanted to try it. I want to get into it. And for me to say that at the time with the, you know, it just came out of nowhere. It's like, you know, I, I wasn't taking theater in school and doing these things. And he was just a great friend. He said, well, that's amazing. He's like, well, I'm going back out West. Like, why don't, why don't we drive it together? And so it, it just helped to have that mm-hmm. friend to be like, yeah, you're not, you know, it's great. And I'll also say, I've said this before, One of the reasons I chose Vancouver, and this is a terrible mindset at the time that I've, you know, 20 years ago, whatever you going to call it 19 years ago. It was farther away. And I may say this as a joke, but part of it was true. It was farther away. So if I went to Vancouver and failed, it would take longer for the news to get back. Terrible mindset. Toronto's two hours or four hours away. Mm -hmm. Vancouver's, you know, the West coast. So I had to work myself towards this openness that you're talking about to trying new things. And it was, Just, I don't want people to think it's like, you got to be a 10. Let's go. Like, if you want that life, you know, sometimes it's a gradual. And for me, it became a gradual. And then once I got into this job and realized the the kind of work I wanted to do in it, then you get forced into, and now you're talking about a nine and 10 because you got to put yourself out there and stuff. But... But for that one, but, but, you know, that's why I wanted to kind of backtrack to that, just to say it, it, it takes time for me personally to get to that place um, a yeah, little and bit. More, and it
1: was, I yeah. just want to add one thing there is that's the thing about the continuum is that, you know, Seligman's work in positive psychology, it's a continuum. So there's a constant shift back and forth. Yeah. So somebody who is a eight or a nine, even though they're open to new experiences, might be in a uh, time in their life where they're suddenly a three. So it's not a fixed thing, you know? So there had to be some openness to that experience to say, Hey, I'm, I'm willing to pack my clothes, pack my bags and, and go there. You, you had to have been a little further up on the continuum, definitely not a 10, but as you say, once you started to explore that you then increased on that continuum. And that's, that's an important thing for the listeners to understand the, These are continuums, not fixed points. So I just wanted to drop that in there.
0: Yeah, and it's a brilliant way to put it because when you see that visual and understanding and also I know people who I've met at times who are eight or nine in that thing and then they take a couple hits and all of a sudden you start to become five, you know. But I think intrinsically inside of most people there's something, a little voice or something that pulls you and if you're willing to even open the door a crack, sometimes that's all it takes and to go... And to start opening and trying yourself to new things. And then to tie that into what was the second part of what you were saying, you know, I grew up playing sports um, from a young age. And there is, when you start to play at a, at a higher level with certain things, and it's, it's not always sports, whether it's, um, you know, I, I, we know some friends who's, whose kids are in dance. And that's that's a hard, like, that's that, there's there's a, a dedication that is needed and a certain amount of sacrifice. And resiliency more than anything else. For
2: sure.
0: And I think through sports, you know, I mean, you know what it's like. There's a lot of ups and downs and there's a lot of hardships. And when we played football, too, I mean, and there's just a lot of physical things to it. I mean, heaven forbid you have an injury because then you have to be resilient. You have to work your way through it. You have to be willing to work your way back. So all these little things that came along, they start to become ingrained in who you are. You know, it's, it's about, you know, I'll tell you our first year together, my first year as a rookie. I mean, you'd already been there for a few years. I was dying during our first camp. Like I was, I was cooked. I remember, just, I remember everyone saying, you know, when you get to camp, you're going to hit a wall. And I was like, what I've been training and playing football my whole life. Let's go. And the third day I could barely get out of bed yeah,
1: that was-
0: and our friend, you know, you know, James Asher, Yeah. The, I, I don't know which of us was first, so I won't say, but one of us wanted to quit. And the other one was like, no, 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 let's do this. And the next day, the other guy wanted to quit because we were just dying. So it's, it's a helping hand, but you get up and you get through it. And you're like, I got through it. And I push through it. And I push through the mental side of it more than anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that helps to build resiliency. I think it helps to build your character. But it also is just a confidence thing. You start to realize, you know, I can take these things that come my way. I can take these hits, And even if I take a couple steps back... I'm still going to be then heading forward. And I think sports can teach kids that under the right circumstances. I do think that there are times when, and a lot of times it's more parents that are ruining it than kids. I think you have to look at it as what it can be. And in each moment and each practice or each game, as opposed to like, well, here's the point we're trying to get you to, especially in Canada, you know, people are so hockey crazy you know, you've got a kid skating around at five and they're like, Oh yes, great. I can see. And they start picturing this thing. It's like, well, no, what you should see is a kid who's thriving at something and he's, and it's in his shoulders are going back. His or her shoulders are going back and they're getting confident. You know, those are the steps I think that sport offer people because at some point, usually that sports done or some sports done or your dance is done, but you've built up a lifestyle where you're used to obstacles And you're, because life is full of obstacles. Nobody knows that more than this 2020. It's been an incredibly challenging year. And you and I touched on a little bit also with mental health. You know, I think that if done properly, and I always say that because it can go wrong with sports or some kind of passion, if you can find, especially at a young age, you also have kids who walk around with a lot of confidence because they've, they've taken things on it's not about them being the, the best at it. It's the fact that they've taken it on at some level and it's allowed them to grow
1: and, you know, learn about these tools that they're going to need for the rest of their life. So do you feel like in describing that, you know, you talked about resilience, you talked about that idea of the football camp. You didn't want to be a midnight cowboy. Right? Oh, yeah. I was close. I was close. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I still remember a few Midnight Cowboys over the years, right? Where people yeah. just don't show up the next day and they disappear in the middle of the night. Uh, but yeah. When you, you've talked about resilience, you've talked about commitment, you've talked about being in the present moment. And really, excellence comes from being in the present moment. And the more present moments that we can stitch together, you know, the more present that we can remain, then that's when we can really be at our best. You know, and yeah. that's again, what the this mindfulness stuff is no longer just fluffy, um, fluffy stuff not rooted in science and research. There's actually a lot of research right now to talk about the power of being present, mm-hmm. and the ability to be in the present moment and not ruminate about the past or project into the future, because as soon as you do that, you're done. you know you you're yeah. out of the, the that present moment. But if we go back to the strengths in the early days, it was resilience one of those for you and commitment? Like, let's go to those real hardcore strengths that you think that you possessed at that early age.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, to be perfectly honest, as far as football went, you know, it, that was that was commitment. Because, you know, I'll, I'll say this might sound terrible, but, well, my first year is the perfect example. And I'll tell a quick story about it. Like, I was 12 years old, skinny, skinny kid. And I just remember my football team or my, sorry, my baseball team got knocked out really early. For some reason we were good, but we didn't. We're walking away with my dad. Who's this very tough, but very loving Irish boxing champ. He, he won a bronze at the Commonwealth games. Like he's a sport, tough Irishman. I was born in Ireland. Like, you know, we're walking along and we see these guys running around on this field. My dad walks up and says to, his, to this guy, he said, what is this? And he's like, this is football. And he's like, oh, And he said, it's, uh, for ages 14 and 15, he's like, is your son 14? And I was like, yep. (laughs) And so he said, okay, well, he's like, bring him back here tomorrow. We'll get them all suited up. This is back, you know, so many years ago that nobody checked your birth certificate. (laughs) They didn't care. right? So I showed up and I'm not kidding you any, I spent two months getting destroyed, (laughs) Like I was that fun kid who, when you, who people are fighting to line up against because I was so skinny and right. And I got pounded. I mean, my mom wanted me to quit. I was covered in bruises. And then I just, I took a beating for a year because I was two years younger than everyone. And then, but I wouldn't quit. I didn't stop. And and I kept going. and, And then I went through a bit of a growth spurt and I went back that next year and was just a different kid. And I was a different person, and I'm not, not saying you know had I quit or been like this is you know wrong, but that was my initial introduction to football. That's not a fun two or three months oh, <laughs> for any kid, but that was my sport growing. Up. I loved it, and I loved it. I think partially because I had persevered, and then from that, my confidence, and then from then on, I started to be you know fairly good at it, and was and it became my thing, and it became my passion. I loved it. And at that point it was more of, then it's about commitment. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's an interesting thing. It's like, you know, we talk about uh, kids who are maybe not like my year of not being great and get pounded on, but there's also a thing with kids who are thrive or good at a sport. You know, it's easy to take your foot off the pedal. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So you have to find another level of commitment and that's internal when you're not chasing people to try and catch up. And I see it all the time with my kids hockey, when you're not chasing people, how do you find that inner drive to continue to push? And there's a couple of kids in Vancouver who are older. I mean, I'm that well, but they're, they're, they're special kind of players. And you can see there's some kind of internal drive, some grit that makes them want to be the best at what they do. And I think that's an interesting thing as well, because I'm not saying that's one's harder, one's easier. But I just think that it's an internal drive and again, we talked about that passion that you need to find. So I had a passion for football for a bunch of years. I had a passion for hockey, but I was't very good <laughs> but I had a passion for it. Yeah. So I started to find like you said when you, this resiliency and for football it was a commitment because I was I was good at it you know quote unquote good And so that was a commitment of still showing up, pushing myself. What can I do in hockey? I started a bit later. So that was a a passion and resiliency to try and catch up, to chase, to to what am I going to do? So there's, there's two different sides to what it can be. And then as I got older and I got into what I do now, it was a combination of things. It's like, I had a, a passion for something. And when I started, I mean, I was telling you about that one teacher I had who, was, was an angel, I, I auditioned to be in her. It was the big acting school here in town. Yeah. It was the one where they were churning out good people here in Vancouver. And there was a system of beginner, intermediate, advanced, and, and everybody knew about the advanced class. You could go sit in and watch it, and I saw some people who were incredible actors. And I went to audition, and it wasn't very good because I hadn't, I hadn't been doing it very long. And then I, I sat there and basically begged my way into this advanced class. I didn't belong. In. And I just, the thing that I think helped to seal it was I said to this other teacher, there was two of them, there's partners. I just said, said, I said, I know that wasn't very good. <laughs> I said, you know, I was nervous and all this different stuff. And I said, I know for a fact, I'm going to come up and I'm going to be the worst person in class. I know that. I said, but I promise you, I won't be for very long. I said, if you just let me, I don't know why I had to be in it. truthfully, it wouldn't have been a problem going up and going through, like it's not. But I begged my way into this class because I just, I wanted to, and then I was, I was, I was the worst person in the, in the class, like easily. But I found a passion, I joked you be before, like I was never the world's greatest student, but I got to a point where I'd be sitting there quietly at first, you know, waiting for my turn to go up. And it's an intimidating situation. And some of the people in my class, they were just phenomenal. They really were really worried because they've been doing it for so long and they're so confident. But if my teacher at the time, if she was offhandedly be like, oh, Warren, you know, you should be this book, you know, I'd have the book done in two days. Do you know what I mean? So okay. that was a different feeling for me, I mean, you know, and that was that was the passion I got from sports and realizing it's like, it's like putting in extra work. Well, you better put in some extra work if yeah. you're feeling yeah. like you're lagging behind. And that came from sports a lot.
1: So that's what I'm interested in because when you, you know, you describe your journey in Windsor. So we only played one year together. You yeah. was a quarterback, you played defensive back. So we'd line up yeah. to practice, we, and, yeah. <laughs> you know. And two ends of the field. Yeah, two ends of the field. And you you leave Windsor. So that's what I'm still interested in because there people have a linear path. And I've spoken to many of my guests who from an early age have been trained in their craft. They know what they were supposed to do. Uh, There was a linear path to excellence. They had all the support they needed. They stumbled along the way, but they had people to pick them up, right? So they still stumbled, you know, they still faced obstacles, but your journey I see being very different. You know, your journey I see being first of all, you didn't study theater in university. Maybe you took, Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe you took a side course or whatever, but I don't think, yeah. So you had this vision of becoming an actor, right? And then you and Scott pack up and you drive out to Vancouver. So on your way out to Vancouver, you're like, okay, well now we're doing it. So now I have to figure this shit out, right? (laughs) Yeah. What does that mean? I've got to figure it out. I've got to figure out what it means and then you just talked about suddenly we go from playing football to to actually doing the coursework necessary to become mm-hmm. great at your craft. I'm interested in that in between and the mindset in between going and that role, the the the, um, the roles of fear and un, the unknown and openness to experience and all of these things that you probably like in a UFC grappling match. You mm-hmm. had to probably grapple with all of these because you can't just go in and you can go in and fake confidence, but it only works to a certain extent.
2: Right? Oh, for sure.
1: Once you start getting bullets from all sides, you know, it's like an offensive line that is, that is crap, you know, or maybe the left side is crap and the quarterback has to, like, work with the crap left, left side of the line is not so good. But yeah. if it pulls all over the place,
0: there's no escape. You're not, you're not speaking from – from past experience by any means you're
1: just trying to use church church, all those boys right so but but that's what i'm saying so just before we really dive into the weeds of your craft i want to talk about those transition years and what you were grappling with within yourself Mm -hmm. to be able to stand up to the plate strike out strike out maybe hit a hit a single strike out you know what i mean not absolutely, knowing. so just take us through the mindset and and that experience
0: well first you know first of all when when my football career ended i wasn't able to finish the last season like i was falling apart physically and so i i dealt with a little bit of depression because that had been my identity for you know well over a decade and i think a lot of sports people or dance people gymnastics all this different stuff when you do something from a young age, hockey players, a lot of times have started skating when they were three, you get lost in your identity of what you are. For sure. So when that first ended, you know, I was just a guy who was finishing up school and like, I wasn't crazy about school, but I was going to finish and graduate and I was proud of that. And my parents were happy, but I was also then stuck in this transition spot of what am I going to do? And a lot of people I knew were getting, you know, in Windsor, these jobs at like Ford and GM and making money and looking towards buying houses. And I was sitting there being like, knowing that wasn't really my fit, you know, knowing that something wasn't right about that. I knew that intrinsically, that something in my stomach wasn't right. And then I was like, oh, you know, I grew up in London, Ontario. I was like, well, maybe I'll go back there. And then I started to think about what I really wanted to do. But even in my own head, it sounded bizarre. You know what I mean? I think the last time I'd done anything I, acting was a grade two in a play. <laughs> so just suddenly, you know, 24 years later at 25, 26, whenever I graduated, 25, I think um, to say that was hard just to put the words to it, mm-hmm. but something was pulling me, something was there. And then that's why, like I was saying, I, I finally had the guts to tell it to Scott, who was like my best friend at the time. And probably even had a couple of drinks just to loosen up. That but sometimes we need to put words to what we want to do
1: yeah.
0: to put it out there in the universe, to just say, this is what I want to do and, and just verbalize it. And he was incredible. And as I told you, he's like, all right, let's do it. He's like, I was going to head back West anyway, because he'd been in Victoria. He graduated before me and he'd just come back and he, was, and he was just living on my couch. And I was like, yeah, okay, let's do this. And, and all of a sudden it was, it was kind of happening, but I didn't know. I had no idea what that meant. Yeah. You know, one of the themes that I used, I don't know if I told you a couple of times too, it's like, there's an inner drive with things. Don't get me wrong, but I'm a big believer in who you surround yourself with as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I, had I quit that, that day in football without James being like, no, come on, let's do one more day. My path would have been very different. Had I not felt comfortable enough for my best friend to say, you know what I want to do? and him helping to give me the push to do it, my path could have been very different. Had I not found that teacher, my path could have been very different. So I really believe who you surround yourself with is, is important, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'm not saying it has to be all like-minded people or anything like that, but I do believe that you have to surround yourself with people who who can make you better and challenge you For sure, um, is a big thing. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden we're packing up, you know, we're, we're going to go to, we're gonna drive from Windsor to Vancouver. I I didn't tell anybody what I was doing. I actually lied. I lied to my parents and my dad actually he was working I can't remember what it was, a computer company. He he's like, oh he, I was like, you know what, it's time for me to get a job. It's time for me to settle down. And you know, they loved hearing that. So he actually set me up with an interview at a computer company when I got out there. You know, because I was this whole to keep the ruse up. So I borrowed Scott's suit which was you know didn't fit me because he's smaller than I am and I went I was sweating the whole time like it just wasn't a fit for me I knew it wasn't right and I got fortunate enough that I, I, I landed a couple of you know very 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 small gigs that helped to soften the blow and I eventually told my parents but so we get in the car and we're gonna we're gonna drive out to do this thing and it's also a different time you know I mean you and I sit here with computers in our hands you know I could, have, I could have Googled and researched the whole way there, but it was a different time when that wasn't a thing. So we're just driving out blind. And then you, we got to town and we just started trying to figure things out. I mean, I'm in a town I'd never been in. Um, trying to figure out what the way to go is and find a teacher. And then you start to meet people and start to hear things and you, you do a little bit of research. And then... I'm not exaggerating when I tell you, it's just a lot of falling on your face because the interesting thing is if you're falling behind in a subject, well, great. You can go to the library, bury yourself in there for a few hours. If you're falling behind in my industry, like in not even my industry, my industry is my job. If you're falling behind at my school, my acting school,
2: yeah.
0: you do it in front of people. Yeah. Like you you're there blowing it. You know what I mean? In front of a bunch of people. And it's not fun. Mm-hmm. You know when it's going off the rails. You know when it's not going. Sometimes you just can't even remember your lines. So that's its own problem. You know what I mean? So it's it's a different thing. And so for someone like me who wasn't used to that, it was it was very eye-opening. And you just learn very quickly that listen, you're gonna make a bunch of mistakes, you're gonna be embarrassed. Um, so you might as well learn from as much as you can from them instead of just, you know, putting your tail between your legs and skulking back to your seat, sit there and take it, take it on the chin, take the critique, take the fact that, you know, you just blew it. And that was a new experience because even in sports, but you have your moments. I've been, I, you know, I was a defensive back, so I got burned. It's embarrassing. You know what I mean? You know, I get scored on. That's my guy. That's embarrassing. Well, Taylor better pick better. Just keep going. You know what I mean? Unless you get pulled out, you better keep going. So you learn again through sports to, well, you better pick yourself up. It's that resiliency we talked about. Now this is on a more embarrassing scale a lot of times because you can't hide. Like I said, there's ways to, there's things you can go. You can go to the gym, you can go to the track by yourself and try and get a bit faster. You can go here and don't get me wrong. Like there's still a lot of things I still read to help me in my life and in my industry. But the biggest thing I learned when I got there was you are going to fall on your face in front of people a lot. And what that also prepares you for, if you are fortunate enough to have a career in film and television, let's say, or in theater is people like to critique. So if you can't fall on your face in front of 10 other actors who, you know, you're not going to do very well when someone comes along and says, they don't like you in something or this or that, or, or the, the mindless people online. Like, I, I hate his hair. I hate his face, <laughs> you know? So it's but more it's resilient. That,
1: it's that openness to feedback though. And like, you know, so you yeah. fail in the moment, um, a, a DB fails in in covering the receiver properly. A, a quarterback doesn't read the, you know, read the defense properly, throws a pick, whatever, you know, like, yeah. You, you fail and it's the ability to, to have a good coach. That's going to mentor you, of course, but Tune you to yourself be open to the feedback necessary to grow and learn. So, as you said, you, you fail in front of an audience of peers can, <clears throat> can hurt, but what you do with that is entirely up to you.
0: Absolutely. And it's, a, it's like you say, let's say you threw a pick. Not that that ever happened, but let's say no, you threw, course not. <laughs> let's say you throw a pick. Well, you, the nice thing about it is you don't have time to really, again, again, unless you get pulled, which at least things have, whatever, but you don't have time to really go sulk. It's like, well, let's talk about what just went wrong. Let's evaluate it. And let's try and make sure it doesn't happen again. Cause by the way, you're back out there again in 10 seconds. So you don't have this time to sulk and put your tail between your legs and sit down and you know feel bad for yourself it's like we okay great and a good coach will put you back out there right away yeah and say go or if you threw it to a guy and he drops the ball well a good quarterback is going to turn around i gotta get that guy the ball get his confidence back up mm-hmm. and that's again being good people and smart people but but that's really you know you nailed it as far as the resiliency of having to just keep going and if you and you might as well learn from it. but do you
1: feel that you were always that you always had that mindset in shifting back, like, like learning from your mistakes or did your mistakes define you?
0: No, it's like you see each one. uh, There's two sides to each one, really. And, And I'm going to use the word, like what would be called over my career, quote unquote, what I would even dub like failures or mistakes, let's say, or hardships, whatever you want to call them. There's really two sides to it. In the moment you take the hit, you really take the hit because it's, it's for me in my business, it, it feels very personal. Mm-hmm. You know, even as simple as not getting a job. I mean, people have no idea. The, per, the percentage of when you get jobs is really low. And what's hard about that and what you have to separate is I'm not trying to sell you, you know, a product. I'm trying to sell myself. So when I don't get something or it doesn't go well, let's say like it's personal. I'd love to say that I've always been just that person that kind of dusts it off. Um, But sometimes I take the bigger hits and and I'll sit with them and I'll compartmentalize. That's who I am as a person. And then I'll say, okay, move that here move that here and back at it. But I I think I got better as that as I got older, you know what I mean? Like I I used to take the hits very, very personally. And I still do sometimes because I, I, whether I like I, I was on a show, it was airing in 2019 I love that show the one I was discussing earlier I loved that show yeah I love the people I worked with I was shooting in New York which was really special and all this stuff and it got canceled and it hurt yeah. whereas yeah. I've had other shows get canceled and I'm like oh well ran its course you know what I mean so you you, you still you get invested in things and the things you really love you get invested in um but I am very the way I process things is I sit down And I'm very pragmatic and I compartmentalize this and this and put this here. And okay, what happened? What can I, and at some point when I'm done, you know, I try not to feel sorry for myself for too long. Mm -hmm. And at some point I'm like, well, what's the, and and what's the lesson here? Mm -hmm. What's the lesson? What's, what can I take from this? Mm -hmm. There's always a lesson in something. And the ones that hurt more, the ones that I would call my bigger, you know, and I don't like the word failings, my bigger obstacles, ones that really hurt have given me the biggest lessons that have turned around and thankfully with the universe, you know, very, very quickly turned into something else where I was like, ah, you know, maybe the universe knows I'm not so smart, but they've made my lessons very clear to me because as I've gotten older, I see that. And instead of having filtered through and find it, you know, there's a lesson in everything. But I also, I read something really, I don't know what it was the other day, but I'm trying to also incorporate, which is, This person was in sales. I think of something like that. I'm going to try and get what it was, but he had a really incredible boss or CEO. It said, here's the deal. When something goes wrong, set your timer for five minutes, Mm -hmm. bitch about it, complain about it, swear, yell, whatever, do all this different stuff. Don't blame, but you know, don't blame other people, but take that anger. And then when your timer goes off, you're like, well, nothing I can do about it now and try and put it to the side. I think that's a very big thing in any you know job or life or something you're, when you're striving for. So I've tried to incorporate that. I was doing that on a different scale, but that very made it very succinct and understandable.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, but that's another thing that I think I got to that place because I've taken a lot, of, you know, a lot of hits along the way. Everybody does. Um, in my industry, uh, it's very up and down. There's no, there's no guarantees at all. You know, you don't work to 65 and get a gold watch and retire. I mean, there's no guarantees. Every actor will tell you like you never as soon as one job done. You're like, I don't know if I'll ever work again. You know, it's that, it's that, it's that feeling, um, that goes with it. And that's, that's another thing that you have to come to grips with. Some people want to work nine to five, Monday to Friday, pay into their, you know, retirement and, and do this different stuff. Whereas the, Volatility, for lack of a better, I don't know if that's the right way to kind of put it, of my industry and the unknown is something that I also have a love hate relationship with. And I like that change, but you know, you also do like some commitment into
1: it. That presents that you know the new challenge, uh, which is again openness to new experiences and new challenge. And there's a few things that come to mind. First of all, the village, you know, it was one season, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we are gonna watch it, you know. We were trying to get it here to to really mm-hmm. dig into, but I showed my boys the trailer and it watched some of the interviews from the actors and and uh it just seems like such a heartfelt, genuine, genuine show, you know? Mm-hmm. And and uh some great stories shared in there. So um, I just wanted to mention that. But I once heard a, a well-known Buddhist monk give a TED talk and he uh, in the talk, he shared this idea that there's an expression that opportunity knocks once, so you better be mm-hmm. ready for it. And I think Eminem and Eight Miles says the same thing: you get one chance. Mm-hmm. You know? But that's not true because if I don't you, believe if, that. Yeah, if you keep your resilient spirit and you and you keep focused on on what you need to do to continue on your path of excellence or striving for excellence, that the door will, you know, the there'll always be a knock at the door and you just walk through and you would just have yeah. another opportunity and there's another knock and you walk through. But it's that idea of walking through and taking on that next challenge. And with mm-hmm. that next challenge will come failure, maybe success, but then comes the learning. And that's what I wanted to ask you is in, in your career, uh, the art of acting, you know, when you think of that, like, That's the human condition. And what I want to ask you is, what have you learned about the human condition, you know, and what it means to express yourself with authenticity and purpose? Because you can, as an actor, I'm sure you have to create emotions. You have to be in that moment and create an emotion. But there also has to be that neurological kind of that that brain chemistry, that shift within yourself to create the emotion that you need to create to be in the moment, you know? Mm -hmm. But just talk about that idea of what it means to express yourself with authenticity and purpose and what you've learned about yourself and the human condition through your craft.
0: Yeah, you, you know, when I first started, you know, people make the joke. I think, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a great liar. I'd be a great actor. And, and it's the exact opposite. The hardest thing to do is to sit there and be fully truthful. Um, especially when you're trying to convey a certain emotion to tell a story. What I had, you know, quote unquote going for me at the beginning, as I started to happen to things is my emotions are big. If I'm mad, I'm mad. If I'm sad, it's big. You know, if, if I'm happy, it's this. So I had big, big emotions. What I had to do then was learn my craft and how to then, Control them for lack of a better term, but then also you got to understand your medium that you're working in like this box. You have to be able to work within it to tell this story and it's not about you. That's the only thing too. It's not about you. You're, you're there to tell someone's story. Mm-hmm. So as I started to understand what it took to build a character and to, to tell these stories, it's like anything, you know, you start the foundation, the simple things and you start to layer in what it is. And a lot of great writing is a big. It's important, you know what I mean. Like it, if a, if writing is really good, it flows, and there's a reason to it. You can figure it out a little bit easier. But as I started to delve into certain characters and and the emotional journey they were going on, that's great. And I know some people that are really great, very analytical, and they can do that. But then, can you stand there with a hundred people staring at you? Um, and a camera this far from your face while you're looking at this person here? And can you convey that honestly and openly through your eyes? That doesn't mean you're sitting there wailing or anything. Can you show hurt? Because a lot of people, we, we lose sight of things because a lot of people, like when you hear horrible news, I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but we, we process it. So a lot of times you sit there and you can see a pain in someone's eyes, but they're not necessarily you know, going crazy or doing these different things. So to learn to control that and to know what really people go through and how they handle it. I think that's very important to tell a certain kind of work. You know, when I was, when I was working on the village, there's this wonderful actress named Lorraine Toussaint. She's been around forever. She's incredible. Um, And I remember one day she said this thing because the village is a very emotional show. Yeah. We're all telling very emotional stories. It was was a beautiful show. And I honestly believe had it launched maybe a year later, I think it would have really, and it did connect with people. And that's all that matters. Just, just not enough to keep it around. But she, I remember her saying one day, you know, you have to pay a certain price to do certain work. And what that means is it sounds silly and it sounds very, you know, artsy fartsy, what you want to say is, but stand there all day for eight hours of to get four minutes And to put yourself in a truly honest, painful spot, let's say, or to even if you are physically like crying and wailing or whatever it's going to be, it takes a physical toll on you, the mind and the body, how they work. Like it's really, it's a really amazing thing to connect to it. So if you're trying to tell an honest story and you're trying to tap into something, you also have to tap into your life, what you've lived, what you've been through, what, you know, I can't tell the story of a veteran coming back who's lost a limb, trying to acclimate themselves in the hometown. So all I can do is do as much research I can because I took the responsibility very seriously because it's not something you want to play around with. And then all that information is gathered. You put it inside yourself and now it's like, well, what, what part of myself can I put in? it? You know, when have I felt close to what I'm hearing that these veterans are doing? these men and women are coming back and they're struggling with so many different things. I've never done that. So what can I do from my life or what is my trigger? How can I do it? So, you know, it's a lot of layering. It's a lot of um, putting in the work and, you know, it's a cheesy term, but it's just putting in the work of, of doing as much as you can so that it's all in there for sometimes the simplest of things, but if done right, something about it will resonate.
1: Did you feel a sense of commitment to the veteran that you were working with?
0: Oh, it, it, you know, I, I've done a few things where I've gotten to spend a lot of time researching, which I like. I really love, you know, every character you do to a certain extent, there's going to be something to it. I felt a huge responsibility with that. I felt a huge responsibility also because we're talking about not just a veteran in itself, you know, talk about men and women who go out there every day and put themselves in harm's way. This is someone who lost a limb. That's a whole nother thing. So there, and then this is someone who I wanted to tell a story authentically. And then, thankfully, as I said, Jamel Daniels was with me every day. And he was so sweet. He was so open from the get go. We spent so much time together just chatting, but I felt a huge responsibility to make sure that the story was told properly. And with the authenticity of what these men and women are going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and that had a lot to do with the writing and they were great about it as well. They spoke to a lot of different people. And then the other thing that came out which was great was I actually ended up going around and doing a lot of stuff with veterans groups. I went down to Washington once to do um, a big thing with a, I can't remember veterans day. I think it was. And we went down to, to spend some time with some veterans and, and, and went around and, and to me it was really incredible. And then, and then when the show came out, I had a lot of people reach out through social media and just, we're very thankful of how this character's PTSD was playing out mm-hmm. because it wasn't like, I wasn't, it wasn't too crazy. Sometimes it was um a light bulb would pop and it would just, it was that thing. Right. And they're like, Oh my gosh, you know, this, this happens to me or this happens to my partner or whatever it was. That's, that's the stuff that you, you're like, okay, you know, thankfully, you know, there's, there's certain characters. If you get them wrong, you don't care, but that's, that's someone who deserved such a certain amount of respect. And we were very conscious of what we were talking about. Um, and I think we were all really proud of it in the end of how that story was told. So that, that's, that's why I call it a highlight. It's like the people I worked with working in New York is always cool (laughs) to be there for six months. And then the feedback we got where was, was really positive as far as not like, Oh, you're so great. It's just like, you know, thank you for telling the story properly or thank you for doing this. And that's, that to me was, um, that's kind of as good as it gets.
1: Yeah, that's the rewarding part of what oh, you do. Sure. And I was, I had somebody on the podcast a while ago that I'm still in touch with. I'm going to bring him on again. His name is Sean Livingston. He's a veteran and uh, mm-hmm. an amazing story. Uh, the guy's phenomenal, but he, um, he was injured in Iraq and right away, what do they do? They start giving him pain meds help him recover Mm -hmm. he develops an addiction of course right um he's he gets discharged he's back in the u.s with nothing with Mm -hmm. basically an addiction to painkillers that leads to heroin that leads to despair isolation loneliness anger that he served the military and he finds himself in this position that then led to him um he started dealing heroin. He was um, arrested with a massive amount of heroin and was going to be in prison for 20 years. But the judge saw something in him and said, I'm going to send you, I'm, I'm sending you to rehab before I sentence you. And then in rehab, he found his purpose in life. And he started to connect with the other veterans in rehab. And he started to really make a difference in their life. And and then he found his purpose and his, you know, the the light in in his Mm -hmm. life just started to shine and he got into, so then the judge saw that, you know, six months later, gave him a suspended sentence. He was still on probation. Then he found he had, he was overweight. He was completely out of shape. He found ultra marathoning. Yeah. He found ultra marathoning and then ran his first hundred miler And a documentary was made about his life called woke the monster. And he has now, he's been sober for four years now. Um, And, and he has found such incredible purpose in his life. He's one of the most genuine people I've ever met. And, and he continues to this day. uh, His purpose is to serve others, to, to help them find the light within themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, so your craft um you know what i do you know you you call it a a couple times so far you've called it you felt a pull i've always Mm -hmm. described it in my life i felt a nudge i felt somebody and i'm not religious uh, i find i'm spiritual but i i consider it a nudge just a little nudge in the back just kind of Poking me along, you know, and yeah. not giving me the answers, but I need to figure it out, you know. And when I hear stories like yours, you know, finding your craft and Sean and the people I've had on my podcast, so incredibly inspiring, you know. And and that's why I like to dig into the tools of the craft. And when you think about the shoots that you 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 have to do and um, these intense four or five minute scenes. Mm-hmm. How do you mentally prepare for those in order to be present? Because I talked about that idea of presence, mm-hmm. stitching present moments together. But how do you, just like you got to prepare for the, the football, you know, a football game and t- to be on the, the field. How do you prepare to do that work? You know, what are the tools that you have uh, worked on and put into yeah. practice?
0: Well, you know, I touched on it before. A lot of it is, you, you know, you're building it. From the ground up a lot of times. Sometimes it's a lot of it's right there. Like I said, great writing has got it right there. And then it's up to you to, to do what you can to hopefully elevate it. But it's all foundational. You know, you start with an idea and you build and you build and you add. And you like, for me, I'll read it a couple times, put it away, read it, come back, come back, come back, come back. An idea, I'll write it down, I'll come back. So I go back and forth with it a lot.
1: So what's uh, your ideal? Sorry to interrupt, but what's your ideal? No like your you're. I mean, When you're preparing, what what is the ideal conditions around you when you're preparing?
0: Oh, I mean, I like to be obviously alone. Um, you know, a lot of times when you're shooting a TV series, if you have a seat, let's say, you know, you go in for the full day, but you might have a couple hours off in the middle, right? You're not in this scene, so you're along Your trailer, well, then I'll maybe try and jump ahead and it's quiet. I've got it to myself, you know. They'll come knocking when they need me, but to be able to sit down... As, I, as I've gone along to what helps me is I like to link music to certain emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of people do it for different things. So if I can attach, I mean, that's the gravy. If I can attach a song to a, a certain situation, um, that's really good. But you know, it's really, again, it's about just kind of doing the work and everyone does it differently, but you have to get to a place where you're comfortable with what you're understanding because it's tough to explain, but you know, you're trying to evoke a certain feeling or a certain emotion with so much chaos around you. You have to understand, like sometimes like there's a microphone, like five inches from my head because of the shot. And so the big thing that if you're very fortunate and and a lot of times I have been, you lock onto the person across from you, you know, and it's their eyes and they're usually there too. And, and it, and, and it tries to make everything else fade out. You know, there's a person coming in doing this, or someone doing this, you know. People are super respectful, by the way, when you're doing something that they know is heavy. Great crews, great people, they know what they're doing. And so nobody's coming in asking you, you know, if you want a sandwich or anything, which which is nice, but maybe not the right time. Mm-hmm. People are always very, very thoughtful, but you have to. That thing about being present is everything. Because if you're not present then every little thing around you is going to pull you out and you'll do your scene maybe and it'll be fine. But there's a flicker that's going to be missing in your eyes that great actors can get. You know, the ones that we've watched our whole lives, there's something about what they're doing. It's coming through their eyes. So for me, again, it's just I have to be very, 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 very comfortable with my dialogue. That's my thing. I have to be able to to not even really think about it. For me, that's a big deal because then I can just relax and worry about everything else.
1: You got the and, flexi- do you have the flexibility in those moments to kind of shift um, wording to better... F- yeah. Yeah.
0: Usually, you know, really, Mike Daniels, who created and was our showrunner on The Billig, for example, he and I became friends and he is a beautiful writer. Beautiful. I mean, his uh, the concept of that whole thing was his... Idea and he's got a beautiful soul, and you could feel it in all the lines. But he wasn't, he was confident enough in himself to be like, if something comes out that's a little different, go for it. You know what I mean? And I've also worked with a couple people who are like, I want word for word. That's hard. For me, that's hard. For me, it it immediately makes me uncomfortable. It makes me tense. Mm -hmm. And again, if you go off the rails and you're not (laughs) telling the story, someone's going to pull you back a confident writer who knows his themes are there, his or her themes are there, who knows that their story is there. I I, I, I use Mike as an example because he really did. And trusts at some point with whatever whatever job you're doing in the world. And it's again about surrounding yourself. If I've hired so-and-so to do their job, well, then let them do their job. And I, I mean, that's on the crew, that's on the writers, that's on the actors. It's try and surround yourself with these great people. And then... Trust them. Let, them, let them do their job. And that's a big part of it. And, and again, people who are confident and know what they're doing will allow that to happen. But, you know, you sit down and then and again, you also have to realize mistakes are going to be made. You might be across from somebody and you might just drop the line. You might just forget it. But there's no time to go, oh gosh, and, and crumble. You don't have time. You got to pick it up and go back and get it again and try and stay in an emotional state to get that going. So how do you recenter
1: in those moments? You know, and because I go back to, again, the work that I've done, I told you a little bit about this is with um, the, the peak performance um, course that I took with the Seattle Seahawks sports psychologist, Dr. Michael yep. Gervais uh, and Pete Carroll, the head coach created this course that I was in the first group that tested the course. And, Pete Carroll, which he applies to, you know, the, the his, every team he has every year applies this work on an ongoing basis, which is how to recenter yourself immediately, and yeah. that it's it's based on certain techniques, you know, like a, including breath work, you know, to literally take a deep breath to because if our breath is shallow we, it's the sympathetic nervous system, which taps into cortisol, which causes stress and and adrenaline. So that deep breath is not just fluffy shit that that you're hearing. It actually connects to the parasympathetic nervous system that helps to ground us. Yeah. Can you talk about that moment where you might face failure, where you have to hold the emotion? How do you recenter yourself?
0: well i mean it's that i mean in for what for what i do breathing is everything i can tell when something's not going right because of that you know you're you're like i'm not breathing i'm not i'm not something's not right here like i'm not breathing normally or i'm conscious of it the breath or something like that so i i know what you're saying how some people are like oh yeah know, am breathing breath work it's everything it's breathing is everything you take a big breath sometimes. And a lot of times, especially if you've done your work and it's there, you take a big breath, you let it out. Well, that emotion should already be there because it's, it's in, it's in you, right. If you've, if you've done your work or however that is, um, breathing is everything. There's also another tool, you know, years ago, someone told me this where I'll, I'll be like sitting on this on my steps of my trailer and they day, whatever, and you, you're not feeling quite there. And you put your hand on that cold metal.
1: Yeah.
0: And all of a sudden you're like, Oof, I'm right here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Those little tricks can work. Um, the, but really, it comes down to breathing. It's everything. Even, even you know, I, well, my son before, he's a goalie. A goalie is, is a high-pressure situation. And he plays, he, represent, uh, he represented BC in this big tournament, this North American tournament. So even at a young age, he's, he's in these pressure situations. On his blocker, he's got, I can't remember the order of them, but they specifically are, it's, it's a free, relax, regroup, Refocus, you know that type of thing. So it's take a breath and do these three steps. Evaluate, no, okay, and then you move on. So it's similar in that moment, but usually when you're in it, and again, your 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 partner in the scene is is huge. You know, if 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 you're locked onto another human being's eyes, then you can take a breath and you can kind of keep going, um, just to make sure that people. Don't really think it's always just that easy. You know, I was doing a show a couple of years ago <laughs> and I was, I was, it was uh, playing a surgeon and that's, it was hard. The show was really great. The people were great. Um, I was really enjoying my time, but sometimes you would get the dialogue late. And I'm, I'm a big, like I said, for me, dialogue is everything. And you're asking me all of a sudden to say this long doctor talk. And some people are great at it. Some people are not are good, really good at it. I just couldn't get this one thing. I couldn't get it. And it's never happened to me before. And so I tried it. I tried it. I just, you know, I was choking on it and then it became a thing and I wasn't breathing and it became a thing and it got away from me and I was kind of garbling it out. And eventually it was like, we, we had to move on. And so that's easily fixed. I'm going to fix that because they'll cut over here. I'll do it afterwards in a microphone like you and I have right now, you know, I'll do it. It'll get fixed. It's fine. But I was embarrassed. I've never in my life not gotten a line out. Never. And I was just like, when I went to my trailer because they had to set up for the next scene, I had another big scene coming up and I was in my trailer just like, I was, it could have gone either way because I've never had that before. Either I was going to crumble or I was going to pull it together. And I sat there, closed my eyes for five minutes, did as much of a meditation as I really could, you know, to try and breathe and get going. And then I was conscious of where I was at. Where am I at now? I'm angry. Well, great. Cause you've got a scene coming up where you're supposed to lose it on this guy. So go, go use this moment. You're in and I went to do the scene and, and, I, and I was so angry about what had happened before. I'm embarrassed. Do you know what I mean? Like embarrassed. And it's that resiliency we talked about. It's like, it could have gone either way and I've seen it get away from people before. And it's it's okay. But I took what was an embarrassing, mad moment. And I was like, well, I'm going to go throw it in this next thing because I don't know what else to do. And I went and, you know, not a line, not a problem, everything. And then it still, it still bothered me. Mm-hmm right? After the fact, like I'm still sitting and I can't sit in the last scene because that's not being present. That doesn't work. Yeah. I can't focus on, if I focused on what was going on in the last scene, that mistake I couldn't get, I'm not going to be present in this next scene. And it's going to go off the rails too. So I was able to kind of move on from that and go later on. And, you know, I beat myself up again, a little bit about it. And then it's like, well, I get to go back to work again tomorrow. So why don't I focus on what I got tomorrow? Um, so those things do happen. You know what I mean, like, and that's happening. Like I said before, if you can't fail in front of your ten classmates, well, when there's fifty people are sitting around wanting to go to lunch and you can't get one one line out, you know, yeah, that's that's embarrassing. Yeah. That that sucks. Yeah, and so you either pick yourself up and you go through it, yeah. or you crumble. And and I and I do know some people that do go the other way, and that's okay. Like to you know, it's it's all learning. But um, yeah, that was hard.
1: Yeah, and that in you describing that again going back to that course one of the key things was being in control of um expansive thoughts or constrictive thoughts and that if we constrict ourselves we limit our potential in the future right so mm-hmm. it's that idea of staying staying with ourselves to be able to um continue to expand what's possible rather than constrict what's possible so if you define yourself by a previous failure, you're constricting future possibilities. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the things that this course is really based on and the tools and techniques to be able to um, understand how you can create these expansive thoughts always, you know, whether it be sport, whether it be in you know, yeah. whatever industry you're in. Um, what about the role of visualization? So before you're – so if we were to – to back up, you know that you're going to New York to shoot or someplace, mm-hmm. and you haven't done any work yet. Um, to, is visualization a part of what you do?
0: Oh yeah, it, it's huge. And visualization, I think, in general, in general, in everyone's life is sorry about that, for me is a is a huge thing. Whether it be day to day, but specifically in something you're doing. Funny to go back to that story I was saying before, we also have to be very conscious of what we put out in the universe. I, for years, said, oh, I I shouldn't play a doctor because I, that was words, you know, and, and I, I joke about it, I say it all the time, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'm playing a doctor. I I, I predetermined that I'm going to struggle with this dialogue. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that constrictive thing you're talking about where I'm like, oh, I don't know, like, it's... I don't know if I can do that. Like that's you know, I've already put myself in a position of not necessarily failing, but, but I've made it harder on myself. Yeah. You know, instead of being like, you know, even change the vocabulary. Well, wouldn't that be an incredible challenge? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be an interesting thing to try to overcome? You know what I mean? So I'm very big on vocabulary. I've tried to and how I say and say things and how I describe things. It's like, You know, we try and tell our kids not that you can't do something, it's that you presently struggle with or those type of things. So that then leads into the visualization of how you want, you know, you break it down into how do you want your six months in New York to go? How do you want each episode to go? How do you want the scene to go? How do you want your day to go? You know, and and a lot of times, I think we talk in our emails about meditation is a nice way to clear your mind to visualize because there's just always so much going on. It's you know, you grow up. It's like people have kids, and you have. I mean, man, when we were doing uh, the village, the woman I spoke about, Lorraine, her house, there was a huge fire in Malibu, and she lost her house. And she showed up the next day and was incredible. She did incredible work. She's an incredible actor and, and and a wonderful person. But like some people, and rightfully so, would have been like, I need I need some time. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I worked with a guy years ago whose father passed and showed up to work and worked. And nobody even knew until, like, the next day, I think it had come out. And I was just, like, blown away. You know, had that guy said, like, I, I, I need a day, everyone would have rightfully been like, take as much as you need. But he wanted to be somewhere... Where he, in an, um, you know, a controlled environment, something that felt good. And, and, and I understand that Lorraine was the same way, you know, you want, so you, sorry to get back to the visualization thing, but it, it's, it's, there's so many distractions in our lives right now. And it's gotten more and more, and especially with kids and you and I touched on mental health when we were chatting before and to, to be able to take five, 10 minutes out of your day, breathe and say, this is how I want my day to go. Or this is how I want my hour to go. This is how I want my lunch to go. You know, these little things is a really big deal. And then to put words to it sometimes, Mm -hmm. I think is a big thing I've learned as I've gotten older can do, they can either really help to set my intention. And also sometimes if I'm dealing with something, it helps to deflate the weight of the problem I have. Mm -hmm. So I'm really big on, on talking. That's, that's the way I like to deal with things a lot of times, but the visualization is, is, is a key in anything you're doing. But for me, it helps to make, you know, sometimes you're stressed out. You're like, okay, I got to go, keep using New York as an example, but I got to go there for six months. we got to do 10 episodes. I got this to do. It can start to feel so big and then you can visualize and break it down to what do I want to capture with this? What do I want to do here? And set my intention every morning. Yeah. As to how I want that day to go. If I have a day off, well, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to work out, and I want to go for a walk. You know what I mean? To set my intention of how I want everything to go, not just work, but my personal life, then I think is huge.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful because that's rooted again in brain science, which is the brain does not know the difference between actual reality and what you're thinking in your head. So, in creating the way you want your day to be, your brain doesn't know the difference and it you know the brain is saying this is actually happening which yeah. is then releasing the neurochemicals in your body to create the endorphins and what you need to keep pushing you towards that intention yeah and so it's it, like having that one friend who you're like oh we're gonna do this and they're like
0: okay yeah. you know what I mean? they're, they're along for it.
1: yeah and what, one other thing i just wanted to say about uh, this idea of confidence because it's come up a number of times and last thing I want to say about this course is, and again, rooted in research, is this idea that uh, what the sports psychologist says to the Seattle Seahawks or if he's working with NHL teams or whatever, he says, where does confidence come from? And, you know, a, a top scorer in the NHL will be like when I put the puck in the net, the confidence, my confidence comes from the number of goals I score yeah. you know, or how I produce, produce. It's all about the, the end product. Yeah, Uh, The sports psychologist is like, "Uh uh-uh. Confidence comes from what you say to yourself. And it's not just inflated self-talk because you're grounding your self-talk in past successes, Mm -hmm. right? Being in the moment, successes that you've experienced, you're grounding your your positive self-talk in having done the hard work to put yourself in the position. So if you haven't done the hard work, your self-talk is crap because it's not going to work. It might work in the short term. But so confidence truly comes from what you say to yourself in those moments based on past experiences and the hard work you put in and the preparation mm-hmm. you put in to, to put yourself in that moment. And that's what I, I just I really like that because that's a that's a huge thing um, for people to understand.
0: Yeah. And I think the biggest thing is I just speak for myself you're right. The, the confidence for me comes in knowing how much work I've put in. You know, there's varying degrees of, you know, if I have to do an audition, I'm pretty good. I can learn what I have to do pretty quickly. But if I go there and fake the rest of it, like I can know know my lines and, and look at you and go through all the motions, I know I haven't put in there's, the work. And that confidence isn't right. But if I put in the work... I built the foundation, all that stuff that I've talked about, and I know I use my time to put in everything I can. It's just different. There's a different feeling. There's a looseness to it. There's a there's something that resonates from someone who has done that. The end result sometimes a in my business obviously is very subjective, but it's also out of your control. You know, I try again to go back to my kid in sports. It's like I tell him all the time. I said, "Listen, all that we were to ask is you show up to have fun." Work as hard as you possibly can and be a good teammate because truthfully, those are the only things you can control, but I want to win. You can't control that. Yeah. You're one part of a system. So I hope you win and for you, but what is your part in this puzzle? Well, work hard and be a good teammate. You can control that. Mm-hmm. You can control, you know, a defenseman makes a mistake. We'll give him a little tap. We're teaching that. It's okay. Don't worry about it. You know, you control your effort. You can have the game of your life and you're still going to lose. You can play like absolute crap, you might win, but the, those things you can control your preparation and how hard you worked, and being a good person i, I mean that that's really it,
1: yeah, yeah, for sure that's that's great uh, and as we segue into the kind of the last couple um you know the last part of this podcast, I have a couple more questions, and the the one thing I want to ask you is like, yeah, there's a lot of A lot of the listeners of this podcast are incredibly creative, talented educators and coaches from around the world. You know, Um, what's one piece of advice you have for these people um, listening to the podcast that, you know, want to continue to be creative and innovative and to stay on top of their games, because what you do transcends your profession, you know, the skills and the things that you've learned through your craft truly transcend the art of acting. So what is one piece of advice you have to the creative people listening to the podcast that want to keep getting better at what they do every day?
0: Oh man. I mean, I think it's along the lines of what most people say and there's always different ways to put it, but I I would honestly just say, be brave enough to fail. Do you know what I mean? Like you can, most people can spend their lives in a certain comfort zone and be quite successful but I do believe to be great or to be innovative or to do something that pushes the boundaries, you have to be brave enough. You have to be courageous enough to fail time and time again, you know, to fail Um, or fall down or however you want to put it. I don't love the word fail, to be honest with you. And I'm trying to a little bit remove it from my vocabulary in the last couple of years, because it's really not failing. The only way to fail is to quit. I mean, then, you fail at something, right? But if you keep at it and you keep going, to be brave enough to fall on your face in front of people, I think is what the greats do. I think it's what the great people in my profession do in every different, you know, avenue of life. If you find out and read those people, like, you know, at some point in their life, they've had a big fall.
1: Yeah.
0: Most people have had a big fall. Sometimes it's a personal tragedy. A lot of times with these big businesses, it's just, bankruptcy and these different things that they've gone through. So as you look at that and you, you know, you, you try to move forward and you, you want to carve out whatever your best version of yourself is going to be and whatever that life you want to leave is just realize that you're going to fall and it might be hard, but really that's what I mean. What I've been trying to get the word fail out because really the only way to fail is just to kind of, to quit. Yeah have you heard,
1: have you heard of the acronym uh fail first attempt in learning?
0: No, I love it though. <laughs> there
1: you go. So that's that's, great. that that kind of changed my thinking when um a few years ago in education it's like you know take out that word don't say it don't say it and somebody came up with this acronym I don't know who it is but first attempt in learning because that's really yeah. what it is. So it's this idea that you're using this as a learning tool, right?
0: Yeah. And I think it's important to teach kids at a young age that it's like, there's no, there's no failing. The only failing is to give up and say, well, I'm done with that. I loved it, but it was too hard or whatever it's going to be, you know, but I love hearing that. And there's another thing in too. I wanted to look it up. So I don't get it wrong too. It's, it's, you know, getting out of those comfort zones. And I don't know if what, what was the thing I said? Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Oh, nice. You know what I, I mean? Say that and, I, and I don't know where that's from, but I know, I just know Denzel Washington used it in a speech. But I just remember hearing it and just being like something about, you know, you hear things sometimes like your fail acronym. You're like, yes. And this thing that ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. I was like, that's true. And it's like, don't be afraid to give up the good for the great.
2: Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Be willing, be willing to put yourself out of your comfort zone to really trace what I think a lot of us know. If we listen to that little voice inside of us, whether it's your push or your pull, whatever it's going to be. Unfortunately in life. and, And I don't know, Kids are great about it, right? Kids feel that little push and they go. But over time, unfortunately, when we do start to take those hits or whatever happens, we stop listening to that voice. And I think if we can tune that back in, and, and I, you know, you know, I chatted briefly about whether it be meditation or centering yourself. A lot of times what that does is it allows that voice to be a little louder. And it just has to be loud enough that you can hear it. For sure. You know what I mean? And then yeah. you go to the next thing, which is like, okay, well, let's, let's try it yeah the first step of everything is always the hardest thing right to say okay like for me to to, to just to be like hey listen I want to do this thing and put it out there was I was I was waiting for the laughter you know and then I had a great friend who was supportive <laughs> about it and then it's like okay well now we're gonna pack up we're gonna drive across the country okay well now I got it you know what I mean each step gets a little not only does it get I wouldn't say easier <laughs> by any means but it gets a little more exciting because you're like well, I'm doing it now I'm five or six steps in like this is the first step was always the hard one and then all of a sudden now I'm I'm, I'm really doing this. And then you take a step back because something goes wrong, but I'm going to keep pushing forward. I think that's really the the, the key to it is just to always just be pointed in the same direction, take the heads and keep going.
1: Yeah. And, and stay focused on that North star. And mm-hmm. I think that idea of critical reflection, and this is what I talk about a lot in the, the workshops that I run is the ability to critically reflect to truly critically reflect from an authentic you know, place on how did I do today, you know, yeah. what do I need to get better at? And the, the key questions, we hear them all the time. What's one thing I did well? What's one thing I need to get better at? And people yeah. go through the motions, but when you really sit down, only you know, only I know what I genuinely need to get better at mm-hmm. based on on the experience, you know, and that ability to critically reflect and, and then put that into action and and to – to build on that, you know, really helps our growth. And so the last question I have um, one day, okay. Whenever you're finished your career. Yeah. You know, and you even said, you don't, you know, your career is up and down, you know, you're going to miss out on a bunch of opportunities and you'll get one. You don't know when your career is going to finish, but if someone were to write a book about your journey, what, what would the title of the book be? And, why?
0: Oh man!
1: You can take time here. I can edit out. Yeah, I, should put, it should
0: have, I should have put more thought into that one. Yeah, okay. um, oh, I don't know. It's, I, I, you know, for me, it's funny because you know you want to say okay. certain things because it's all perspective to you. Yeah, yeah. Right, like you know, the media thing that pops in my mind is saying something like, "Oh, the road less traveled," because I. You know, it sounds so cheesy to say, but I mean, I never imagined I could do this and flourish at it because it's not uh, easy. Now I say that in the grand scheme of things, it's like, I'm, listen, I'm not a soldier, I'm not a cop, I'm not putting myself in harm's way, but it's the, It's the lack of um, security that goes with it. Yeah. Sometimes you can you get beaten down with so many no's, so many no's. That some people just get to a point of doing it for a while where they're just like, you know what? I can't do this anymore.
1: Well that's I can't psycho- psychological it. harm. You know, you say you're not putting yourself in, in in the line of a bullet or you're not running into a burning house. Yeah. But you're putting yourself in psychological harm's way because everything you do is a it can yeah. crush people, you know, I'm sure oh, yeah. in industry, right? So
0: Yeah. And I do is, believe about the, of the sports There's a big yeah. thing. Because you know, I saw some people who were incredible athletes or incredible excuse me actors. And then but when that light came on, they want to say froze, but they couldn't, they weren't ready. You know, if you played sports or you've done something your whole life, the whistle goes, you're like, Well, here we go.
1: You're you that moment, right? Here we go, or else I'm in trouble. <laughs> there's a, oh, you're gonna get hit. Yeah, you take a second. You freeze the yeah. DB. D B, guy's gone
0: all of a sudden everybody's watching this ball go over your head and you're like, Oh, where's that going? Um, but, uh, so, you know, to the resiliency that it takes to, to carve out a career in this is hard. And, you know, it's funny that for every, for every, you know, let's say Brad Pitt, there's tens of thousands of actors of varying degrees who some actors make a living, you know, showing up for a day and saying, Oh, phone's for you, sir. And that's, what they do and they do it because they love it. You know, they, they may never do anything more than a couple lines, but they love it and they love the lifestyle and they do that thing. There's also varying degrees in between. Like I've been very fortunate, lucky. I, 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 and I don't mind the word lucky a little bit because lucky is really just, I guess like an opening. we talked about an opening and a door. Yeah. If you're not prepared, lucky doesn't matter.
2: Yeah,
0: exactly. So you can, but, but I also, again, I have to give people credit. Like I, I, I know people who put in a ton of work and not had an, and been not able to crack this industry. And that's hard. Eventually they get to a point where it's just like, it's just not happening. It's not working for me. I've been doing this for 10 years and I can't get a job. And I know people like that have done it for 10 years and can't get a single job. So the fact that I've gotten to the point I have, um, is, is, Great. And I feel very, very fortunate. I still strive for much more. And it's fun for me because one of the things I love about what I do is, is, is I'm learning new things every time I step on set, sometimes through failure, sometimes through, you know, hardship, but sometimes you're just being around it. Um, you know, sometimes your growth and you know, our perspective change and our lives change. So I joke about the road, less travel, but I mean, at 20, I don't, I, I couldn't have imagined this path much like I'm sure you could have fully imagined your path. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't change it for a thing, even with the things that have gone wrong or the the jobs that have not gone my way, which there's a lot of those. That's, that's a big thing. Or I, I don't know, you know, shows, shows get canceled all the time, but I'm always very sad when it happens and, and I take it personally. So even with those different things that haven't worked out along the way, I, I wouldn't change it for a thing because this whole journey has brought me here. Sounds cheesy, but here right now, talking to you about, this thing that I I really do love. And so all the little, you know, kicks and the drops and the different things that have happened along the way, everything has brought me to this moment. And they, they're not great in that moment. You know, they feel sometimes very, very big, but you know, we talked about you take a breath and you move on and try and put it in the rear view mirror, learn from it, move on. And for me, it's, you know, I'm 45 now. To think back 25 years ago, going you know, showing up at the University of Windsor campus to hear—it's been pretty good.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, the road less traveled, great title.
0: Is that Stolen, but is that, is that,
1: that's <laughs> fine. But that's what real, not real original. But that's it just fine.
0: to me, to me, it makes sense because I could not have, even in my let's say wildest dreams, I could not have carved out this specific, let's say, last 25 years. Like I said, from the day, you know, from when I went to the University of Windsor to today sitting here talking to you, the 25 years in between has been incredible. I've met incredible people. I've got people in my life that are everything. You know, I've had these opportunities. I've I've traveled the world doing something that is challenging and changes every day. That's the one thing I would have struggled with a job that is very monotonous. I, I, I don't know if I could have done that. Um, so I mean, every day I show up on set. There's certain things that are the same, but everything else is different, and I love that. So that 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 cheesy title I chose um, really, to me, sums it up. Because at one point in my life, I was finishing up university, and I was at a, a, a true fork in the road. I am mean, well, I either going to set down some roots here and just do this thing that everybody else around me is doing and seems to be doing well, and they're making money, and everyone's buying things, and or i'm going to finally listen to this little very very quieted voice that i haven't given enough you know to mm-hmm. and and kind of see what's out there and so by choosing that path um i, I feel really really blessed
1: yeah I'm very metaphorical for for the mm-hmm. journey you've been on that title and that's what i i think of being at metro airport which i talked to you about in going flying to japan leaving windsor i never thought i would leave windsor ever in my life and then at metro airport shitting my pants going why did i just quit my job and sell my car Yeah, fly i'm flying now to japan halfway across the world to be with my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife and why am i doing this and then i landed and but the thing was that you talk about openness to experience and i I went to the windsor public library and rented how to speak japanese cassette tapes yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and studied japanese for three months and then end up landing in japan and kind of being able to speak basic japanese because of the work i put in and then thinking we're going to go back to windsor and then we stay 10 years and then we move all over the world and i wouldn't change it for anything so
0: but how incredible to, to get to, to share that with your now wife. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, it's, it, it's the people along the way that are really important. And that's very obviously a big person, but I've had people pop in and out of my life. You know, sometimes you can know someone for a very short time. And they'll have a very profound effect on you. Yeah. Um, but to get to share that journey that you've been on with her. And now I know, you know, you have your kids and everything. Like that, That's kind of, that's it at the end of the day too. Right. Like wouldn't it, it would have been incredible regardless, but you get to turn around to someone you're obviously in love with and be like, wow, what have we done?
2: Yeah.
0: You know what I mean? Those things are very big. You know, I, I used to work, work all the time, just want to work. Now I have a kid and and I try to find more balance. And I'd say it's, 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 it's been better for my work. It's been better for me and my mental health. It puts things in perspective, but it's an incredible thing that you guys get to share.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're eternally grateful. And And one of the choices we made is to, Um, stay in Saudi Arabia for Christmas so it's the first time in 13 years where we're staying in our home for Mm -hmm. Christmas Uh, because we always instead of Christmas presents we say okay let's where are we going to go so we go to Scotland for Christmas Uh, a couple years ago we went back to Japan last year so the boys know that their Christmas presents are not going to unwrap anything really they're going to unwrap an experience yeah and So this is the first year where we actually have a Christmas tree with Christmas presents in 13 years. So the boys are. What a cool thing to teach your kids too. What a cool
0: experience for your kids. Yeah. Yeah. To get, to to take them to different spots around the world and and show them. My wife and I had the same thing at one point where we were kind of like, instead of like buying things, let's, let's let's have experiences. Let's make sure we don't lose sight of that. But what a great thing to teach your kids. About going around and seeing these different cultures in these different places, cause I think that's really, uh, really, really a big deal. And and again, some people circumstances don't allow that, but I think that if, if you're in a position to do it, I think it's really brilliant because you've already put your in your kids' minds that there's a big whole world out there, oh, yeah. Yeah. and you've just scratched the surface of it. So they're going to be inquisitive. They're going to want to know about different cultures and different places. And I think, you know, I grew up, I was born in Ireland, but I grew up in London, Ontario. So the idea of going anywhere other than London or Windsor, Windsor was a big deal and that was two hours south, (laughs) but uh, to start going different places and then through my work has taken me a lot of places, but I, I think it's an incredible tool and a gift that you've given your kids as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We were eternally grateful for it. Um, so Warren, where can people find you on social media? And, uh, I guess through your social media uh
0: links they can find your work. Right. I, I'm so bad at social media, I'm actually having to look it up as we talk here. Yeah. So on Instagram, I'm under the Warren Christie. And on Twitter, I'm on Warren Christie.
1: <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E
0: yeah
1: okay great i'm gonna
0: to... i will i will pre-warn I'm, I'm not very good on social media you're not going to see too many pictures of like my lunch but i do promote work and stuff like that when i'm on it.
1: awesome awesome so i'm going to put that in the show notes and i'm going to put some of your your other links on there and uh warren i really it's been a fantastic conversation and i'm eternally grateful for reconnecting with you after all these years but
0: oh i'm so excited to do it congratulations to everything to you it's been it's been pretty incredible to watch so have an incredible holidays and i hope everyone continues to stay uh, safe and healthy and happy
1: yeah thanks man and just hold on i'm going to close off the show and then we'll just uh say our parting goodbyes so everybody thank you very much for listening to my podcast with warren christie and i hope you come back to listen to future episodes
0: Vaseline.